The reading of Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, not a reading concerning the birth of Jesus, but the beginning of his ministry. Explanation will follow during the sermon. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 for the reading of Holy Scripture and let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give You thanks that in the fullness of time You sent Your Son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, to suffer the curse for us that we might be redeemed from the curse. Our Father, we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ that you will visit us in the power of the Holy Spirit to open our minds and to open our hearts and grant us grace to hear the promise of the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, He said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. I love the music, the Christmas music, of the greatest generation. That Christmas music that is rich and warm with nostalgia, romance, and longing. The music which arose out of the fear and danger and horror and homesickness of World War II. 
I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Now, where does this come from? I mean, I didn't serve in World War II, but somehow that resonates with my soul. Why? Where does this come from, this this longing, this homesickness? It is deeply embedded within us, each one of us, every one of us. It is part of our spiritual consciousness. It is engraven in our souls because of our fallen condition as the children of Adam and Eve. It comes from the innate knowledge within us, the inborn knowledge within us, knowledge that is implanted within us at the moment of our conception, that as the children, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we have lost our true home. It comes from the knowledge, the deep soul knowledge that we, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, along with them, have been exiled from the garden. And oh, how we long to go back. How we long to go home. Will you be home for Christmas? Hold that thought. Hold that thought of home, homesickness, longing to go home. We're going to shift gears for a minute, but we're coming back later to that main theme. This is the first Sunday in the season of Advent, an ancient traditional season in the church, like the season of Lent prior to Easter. The season of Advent is observed during the four weeks marked by four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. It seems logical then that Advent would be the season of preparation for Christmas. But actually it's not. That's the tricky part. Advent is not so much about Christ's first coming. Now, we've got got all tangled up in our culture, which doesn't really observe Advent. We just start observing Christmas right after Halloween. But the world gets it wrong, okay? The world gets it wrong. Advent is not so much, these four weeks are not so much about Christ's first coming, his birth in Bethlehem in humility and obscurity, but these weeks are actually about his second or final coming in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. And for that reason, Advent is historically and rightly understood a serious and penitential season, a time for Christians to examine themselves and to ready themselves 
for the coming of the Lord, whenever that day may be. And in that light, in the light of the hope of Christ's return in power and glory, Advent is also a season of longing and yearning, of setting our hearts upon the coming of the Lord in all His glory and power to bring the fullness of redemption to His people and to renew the whole creation in the glory yet to be revealed. Of course, now let me make clear, This hope of Christ's return should burn in our hearts every day, not only during the four weeks of Advent. Our readiness for Christ's return should be the aim of our lives every day, not only during the four weeks of Advent. And the cry of our hearts should always be, Come, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Every day, not only during Advent, but you see, the Advent season provides us with a specified time during the year in which to focus in an intentional, particular way on Christ's final advent and power and and glory, just as Lent and Easter likewise provide seasonal emphasis on his suffering and death and resurrection, on which, of course, we should meditate every day. But it's just, this is how we make our way through the year with these seasonal emphases. So, if you, if you think about the season of Advent as a penitential season of preparation for the coming of the Lord, a season of mourning over our sins, it's, you know, it's a pretty, it's kind of a train wreck with holly jolly Christmas, but nevertheless... Uh, a season of mourning over our sins, a season of longing and yearning for Christ's return to deliver us from this sin-sick world of woe, a season focused on the hope of the glory yet to be revealed in this world of darkness. You see, and then that may help you better understand why we sing solemn hymns in a minor key, such as, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, when we sing that, we are not singing about ancient Israel's captivity in exile in Babylon in the 6th century before Christ. Nor are we singing about the hope for the birth of Jesus, which has already taken place. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. That's a prayer we are singing for ourselves. We, the new Israel, the Israel of God in Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, 
as exiles in this fallen world. We, the new covenant Israel, the Israel of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we are longing and praying for Christ to come again to bring His kingdom in all its fullness to rescue us from the captivity of this fallen, sin-sick world and to bring us home from exile. And when we sing the refrain, Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel! God with us. The name given to Jesus by the prophet, by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, Emmanuel, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We're not singing about his birth in Bethlehem. Rather, we are rejoicing over the promise that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, who has come into the world, shall come again to this world to bring the fullness of salvation and to bring us home from our exile in this fallen world. Now that gets us back to the theme with which we started. Home. Think about how that theme runs throughout the entire Bible. Talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. The history of Old Testament Israel, just think about this with me. The history of Old Testament Israel is a history of homelessness, exile, homesickness. Abram left his country and family and his father's house and journeyed to the land that God would show him as, the scripture says, a stranger and an exile upon the earth. His descendants, the Israelites, ended up in Egypt as slaves far Far from home. When God delivered his people out of the bondage of Egypt, they re-entered the promised land of Canaan. But even there in the land that they called home, they lived in constant struggle against their enemies. And then in 587 B.C., because of their idolatry and faithlessness, God brought judgment upon them by means of the Babylonians. Jerusalem was sacked, the temple was destroyed, and the people were carried away into exile in Babylon. They had been exiled from their home under God's judgment. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept, says the psalmist. In exile in Babylon, they knew that they had been exiled from their land, their home, just as Adam and Eve had been exiled from the Garden of Eden and barred from the tree of life. Hold that thought. There in Babylon, they cried to God to bring them home. They remembered and they longed to go home. Now, Let's connect some dots. I hope you have some dots written down in your sermon notes. Now we're going to connect them. For our Advent candle lighting and our call to worship this reading this morning, we, 
We read responsibly from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that passage from Isaiah begins Isaiah's prophecy, a section of prophecies of the return of the Jewish exiles from Babylon. What we read this morning was an announcement, a prophecy that the exiles were going to be brought home from Babylon. Isaiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, foresaw and prophesied both the exile in Babylon and the return from Babylon. And that passage in Isaiah 40 continues in this way. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's Jerusalem being personified to begin proclaiming the good news, that is the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, proclaimer of the gospel. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Where is he leading them? He is leading them home. He is taking them home. That's that's the reason that every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. Why? Because God is coming to bring his people home. And God did bring the exiles home in the 5th century B.C. But even after those exiled Jews had returned to their homeland, you know the history, it wasn't long before the Greeks had overrun Israel and later the Romans conquered the land and occupied it. So in the time of Jesus with the Romans occupying Palestine, it was as though the Jews were still living in a foreign land in exile. Even though they were living in their homeland, they were still waiting for God to bring them home. And this is reflected in some of the the writings of uh, that period of time where some of the, the Jewish People really considered themselves still to be in exile even though they were home, but they were longing for God to restore them in their home and and reestablish his dwelling with him and let his glory be known again in the land. You see, this was the situation in the first century when John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. We're connecting another dot now. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all associate John the Baptist with this passage from Isaiah 40. Every one of them. That's how the Gospels begin. John the Baptist was the one whose voice was crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. What does this mean? It means that the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all are telling us 
that the true homecoming from exile, the true rescue and redemption of the captive people was about to take place through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In a sense, the true and ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and the chapters which follow are all pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings us home. This was the point of John the Baptist's message. The kingdom of heaven was about to be revealed in the life and ministry of Jesus. The true return from exile was about to take place. The time had come to prepare to receive the kingdom of heaven through him. And the way to receive that kingdom was by repentance and faith, confessing sin, turning from sin, casting oneself on the mercies of God, receiving the promises of cleansing mercy and redeeming grace through Jesus the Messiah. But John the Baptist's message was double-edged, a two-edged sword. Yes, he proclaimed the forgiveness of sins to all who confessed their sins and truly repented and prepared their hearts to receive the Messiah. But to those who trusted in their own righteousness, to those Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, the good people of the day, who boasted in their religious superiority, who placed their confidence in their own personal status as children of Abraham. John the Baptist declared that the coming Messiah would bring judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was saying just this. Yes, salvation is coming through the Messiah, salvation from the wrath to come, but judgment is also coming through the Messiah. Those who do not welcome him, who do not receive him, who do not look to him for their salvation will suffer the wrath of his judgment. And John the Baptist's words here point ultimately, you see, to Jesus' final advent, his coming again in power and glory and the last judgment. John saw it all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. The Messiah was coming, and the Messiah would come again. The Messiah was coming in humility, in service, in sacrifice. He would come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. So you see, John the Baptist proclaimed the coming of the Lord in his own day to prepare the way of the Lord in the first century, but he also, as a prophet, saw down the corridors of history to the last day when Christ would come again at the end of history to take his people home and to cast out into eternal exile all those who would not receive him. Jesus came to bring us home. Think about the parables of Jesus. The lost sheep and the lost boy, the prodigal son. Those are parables about what? 
about being brought home. And the same is true for each one of us. As the fallen children of Adam and Eve, we are born as exiles from Eden. Our sinful nature and our actual sins have separated us from God and cut us off from him. As fallen sinners, we are exiles. But Jesus came into the world to bring us home. And in order to bring us home, Jesus, first of all, had to make his home with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And remember, when he was born, there was no place for him in the inn. He was born homeless. And soon thereafter, his family fled as exiles into Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. And then during his ministry, Jesus himself said of himself, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This world was not his home. He lived as a stranger and an exile on the earth for the sake of us exiles. And finally and climactically, he died as an exile, cast out, expelled from the holy city of Jerusalem to the hill of the skull. Golgotha, outside the city gates. He lived and died the life of an exile to bear our curse in order to redeem us from the curse. And so he humbled himself in faithful obedience, obedience unto death, even death on a cross. And on the cross, Jesus died the death of spiritual exile exiled from his Father's presence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Apostle Peter tells us he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And by the way, that's the answer to the question, isn't it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? that you might bore your people's sins, that you might bear your people's sins in your own body on the tree. And his tree of death became for us the tree of everlasting life. The only way back home The only way back to the garden, the only way back to the tree of life is the way of the cross, the tree of death, Jesus Christ himself. The cross of Jesus Christ is our tree of life. 
cross is the sign and the means of our eternal life, everlasting life in communion with God. And so you see the Lord's Supper is a sacramental sign and seal of the promise that through faith in Christ, in union with Christ, we've been restored into communion with God, redeemed from the curse of our sins, delivered from the power of death. Indeed, that Jesus has come to bring us home. And he will come again. And he will bring us home to live at home with God forever. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that, I where, that where I am, there you may be also at home in his Father's house. He will bring you home, all the way home, to his Father's house, where you will enjoy all the blessings of life eternal. Will you be home for Christmas? Every time you hear and sing that song this season, remember, why does it resonate in your soul? That longing for home is really a longing for your eternal home. That homesickness in your heart is really a homesickness for heaven. You know, that's, that's the reason that there is uh, also, even in secular Christmas, Christmas music, non-religious Christmas music, you know, there are some that do kind of have that haunting um, feel about them. Minor key. You know, sort of a, a, a feeling of loss, a feeling of grief. And that's a, that's a very real experience. And for some of you, it, Christmas, you know, never will really be the same again. Right? And there, there's, there's that homesickness for, for that Christmas when everything was right and good and just as you would want it to be. And you've lost it. And I understand that. But you're going to be home. And Christmas is going to be Christmas forever. You see, that homesickness in your heart and that pining and that longing and that yearning and even that, that bitter sweetness is a homesickness for heaven. We're exiles upon the earth. But the God of the exiles, the God who brings us home, Jesus Christ has come and he will come again. To take his people home, all the way home to our eternal dwelling. Where he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him and with all those who love him. And forever we shall be together at home with the Lord. And to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Rescuer and Redeemer. And we pray in his name that your Spirit will so plant
and water your word in our hearts that it will continually spring forth and bear much fruit to the glory of your everlasting name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, please stand as we affirm our faith, saying together the Nicene Creed, an ancient creed of the one worldwide church of Jesus Christ in which the two natures of Christ, human